in a far distant land. She has no one to show her God's love. No mother or father to wipe away her tears. She cries out in the night all alone. Hurry my heart on the mission field, Lord. Go to dry that young girl's tears. I'll serve you no matter where the path may lead. Lord, please bury my heart. A mother grieves for her starving child. She has no shelter from the cold. Earthly provisions will ease their suffering, but who will feed their empty souls? Bury my heart on the mission field, Lord. I'll give the gospel to the suffering ones. I'll go want me to go, Lord, please bury my heart. Will you ignore these lost souls in the night? Can you hear their pleading cries? They're begging for someone to show them the way we must go before another one dies. Bury my heart on the mission field, Lord. These distant voices won't fade away. I'll do your will, no matter the cost. Lord, please bury my heart. I'll do your will, no matter the cost. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I'll give you my heart. That's a great song, amen. Amen. I like the words to sing, and I do. I like the words of the song. I appreciate Pastor's voice; it's a good voice. I'm not a singer. When he said that today about singing, I kind of about about got sick stomach there because I thought, please don't make me get up and sing. I'm not a singer, but I'm serious. I'm not. My wife says you can carry a tune. I said not very far, amen. But go to Philippians chapter four, if you will. Philippians. I can get this Bible turning. Philippians chapter 4. I appreciate your kindness today, and uh, it seems like the Lord's been working today, and that's all we can ask. But I appreciate your pastor. I appreciate his faithfulness here. And uh, it's, not, it's not common today to see anybody stick around 20 years in a church that they started. I mean, honestly, people move around a lot today. And I, I'm not, I can't say that God doesn't move people. I know better than that myself. But I'll tell you, um, I really believe that a lot of pastors have forgotten what the pastorate's about. I really do. They don't realize that a pastor is somebody who is to feed the flock and protect the flock and, and really care about the people. And, and a lot of preachers, it's almost like a stepping stone. And so, preacher, I appreciate your faithfulness, and I mean that. And I'm praying for your building. I, I thought you were in it. I didn't know it's been going so rough. Um, architects, your pastor said they didn't do this, but a lot of times they, they're like artists. I think they're half insane. They think that the, your project is their project. They think they have the right to create what they want, but thank the Lord, I guess that's not happening. We'll pray for you. We, uh, we had a house built down there on that land. Our family did, and my dad and I went down there. It was funny to talk to the uh, building department years ago, and I, I'll never forget walking in. I said, uh, the guy was a Christian. He was from an independent Baptist church in Portsmouth, Ohio. And I said, his name was Tony. I said, Mr. Uh, Tony, I said, uh, 
what's so what's kind of like my you know what we really need to know is what's the codes in that he goes there ain't there there ain't no code son I said what he said yeah as long as you get approved by the EPA for your septic system you can build anything you want man I said, are you kidding me? Wouldn't that be a great place, amen? <laughs> Anyways, I asked New Martinsville about that for the church because we were looking for a property. And I said, what if we built a church down there, an actual building? What's the codes? I kid you not, they said there are no codes except for the state codes for the, uh, the people, the occupancy. And I was like, praise the Lord. I like that place. All right, Philippians chapter 4. Let's get right into the preaching tonight. It's been good to be with you today. Somebody gave my wife um, a gift card um, for some for a visa card thing for $25. I don't know who did that, but I just want to tell you thank you. It was a blessing today. Um, I don't know if that was from the church or if that was individual. Well, we thank you for that. And um, we had a good day today. We went out and had a good time together. Um, we had a house full of eight people when we left, so we were happy to have some time alone. Amen? But I appreciate your church, and we'll continue to get the letter to you. Have you been getting our prayer letter, preacher? Or do you know? Well, I want to make sure you're getting it. If Yes. Okay, because we didn't we didn't dump you. Just so you know, we didn't dump. Yeah, I want you to get the the letters. Read our letters and pray for us. We'd appreciate it. All right, Philippians chapter four. Let's get right into the preaching tonight. I want to preach a message. What it is the church planner expects of the New Testament church, or what it really kind of the relationship I should say of the church planner and the New Testament church. As I said this morning in the presentation, the DVD, I believe that the church planner and the church have a unique relationship. It's a relationship, amen, a partnership together to accomplish a common goal, and that is to see the gospel preached throughout the world and see churches established for the glory of the Lord. Now, I want to start in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to, I'm going to try to preach this message. The first part of it takes a little longer than the last part, but bear with me, and I think Think you'll understand what I'm trying to give you tonight. Philippians chapter 4, and let's start in verse number 15. Verse 15. Actually, let's go to verse uh, 13. I'm sorry, verse 13. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. You know what Paul's saying here? Actually, the Holy Ghost is saying through Paul, God's reminding us before he gives us the truth. And he's going to give us a great truth here in a minute. God's reminding us that with God, you need nobody else. Amen? Right? Preacher, it doesn't matter how many people helped you starting out. If nobody helped you and God's in it, you don't need anybody else. When we got to Scotland, we were told by a Scottish national pastor, and you would know his name if I mentioned him, that we can live on $2,000 a month. So I raised $2,000, $1,950 a month, and we headed for the mission field. Found out, we got there, our rent was 400 pounds a month that my buddy had arranged for me. Very nice friend, amen? We, after the exchange rate, you take $1,950, you exchange it at a two-to-one exchange, which it went up to one month after we got there, and we had a big salary of 895 pounds a month, and 400 of that was our rent. Trust me, Brother Males, and by the way, if you saw the Beamer out there I'm driving, that's my rich little truck driver son of mine, and he let me drive it today, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. So if you get a son that's a truck driver, maybe he'll get you a Beamer too, or let you drive his around at least, amen? But anyways, I know what it's like to have nothing. I mean, I know what it's like to be in a place where you're alone, and you only, the only way you're going to make it is God has to intervene. And if you've never been there, so I really believe our younger generation now, that we've not, they've not had to dig and scratch like we had to. And I'm telling you, you need, as Dad Clayton told me years ago, my father-in-law, Brother Clayton the Evangelist, you have to have miracles to do the ministry. So God tells us through Paul, hey, I can do all things through Christ. But you know what? He goes on to give us some other truth here. Look at this. Notwithstanding. Ye have well done. Paul says, I can do anything I need to do through Christ. But that being said, amen, you've done well in what? Look what he says in verse 14, that ye did communicate. And that's not speaking communication. That's involvement communication that you communicated with 
my affliction. Look, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, not the beginning when Christ was on the earth, but in them getting saved, he says this, when I departed from Macedonia, remember that this morning? Macedonia obeyed the Lord. What happens? No church communicated with me as concerning, what's that word? Giving and receiving, but ye only. Let me just say this to you. We're going to move on. We're going to get in the preaching. When a missionary comes through and they give you this humble plea that they're not interested in finance, they just want prayers, they're liars. Amen? Now look at me. I'm a missionary. I've done it for a long time. They're either liars or they're stupid, one of the two. And stupid doesn't work and lying doesn't work. You know what I've always said? I've always been honest and said, listen, there's no holes in my shoes. I don't have to go down and beg, borrow, and steal to survive. My God takes care of me, and it takes money to do the work of God. Amen. And I've never been bashful about preaching about giving. They told me in Scotland, you can't preach tithing. The Scots won't give. That church gave, and it gave super abundantly. When that building was sold after they became indigenous, they paid seven $50,000 for that building. They sold it for almost a half a million dollars. And they kept $60,000. And my home church, the only investment that was made into that church was seventeen grand for my home church. And they paid them back $99,000. Anybody can give, amen? Paul says, hey, I can do all things through Christ. I don't need anybody. But you know what Paul says? You did well in communicating with me. In this idea of giving and receiving, you did well. And he's not saying you did well just like a pat on the back. And this is what we're going to preach about tonight. He goes on to say in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And he says here, Not because I desire what? Say it with me. Gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I want to preach on the missionary's relationship, if you will, the church planner's relationship between the churches and the missionary or the church planner. Father, I pray tonight that you would help me to get clarity of thought, help me to slow down, Father, and I pray that this message will be brought forth. I want to be a blessing tonight to this church. I know that this church is faithful. They always were faithful in supporting us, and I know they're faithful in all their missionaries. And Lord, I know they're interested. I know this pastor's heart, that he's interested in seeing churches started throughout this world. But Lord, I pray tonight you would help me to see, maybe Lord, we'd see maybe some insight tonight. Maybe we'd learn something we've never seen. And if nothing else, help us to be reminded of these three great truths, Lord, in concerning the relationship between the church planner and the churches, Lord. Use me tonight, Father. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. And Lord, if there is one here tonight that's not saved, I pray that they, through this preaching, the Word of God, would see their need of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just give you three things tonight that a New Testament church planner desires, amen. And, and, and really, we're going to talk about what he desires instead of a gift. And I'll explain that in a moment. But notice here, there's a verse here that we have to kind of define and look at some of the words, and then we'll get right into the preaching time. I'm going to give you three things that the church planner desires of you as a church, either the sending church that he's sent out of, or you as supporting churches. And by the way, Paul was not sent out of the church at Thessalonica, and he was not sent out of the church at Philippi. So these churches, this relationship that Paul's dealing with, is exactly the relationship that you and I have had for many years, amen? You're an independent Baptist church. You're a New Testament church. I'm a New Testament Baptist missionary, we call it, or church planner. My home church is Cleveland. It's not this church, but you have partnered with me, and I want to explain three things that I desire from you and really that you ought to expect from me, amen? But before we do that, look at this verse. It's an awesome verse in verse number 17. He says this, not because I desire a gift. The word gift here, simply means a present. It means a present. You know, when I give my kids presents, that's kind of, if you will, a handout. In other words, I don't give my kids presents because they're perfect all year. When I would buy my kids Christmas presents, and I still do, I bought my sons some shirts today. They had some good deals going at one of the clothing stores, and I bought them some shirts. I was a big spender. I spent about $10 a shirt on them, amen, being the big spender that I am. But that's a gift. You know what? 
I guarantee even at 25 and 24, my sons, they're living in my house still. I guarantee you there are things that when I say, hey, boys, go cut the grass for me today. I'm going to be on the road. And sometimes they don't get done what I tell them to do. You say, oh, preacher, they're men now. They're men living under my roof. Amen. And so I listen, what I'm trying to say is a gift is a present. It doesn't mean it's a handout like we think of welfare or government handouts, but it's a present. It's not something that, that, that you're, get, you're involved in in an investment form. It's a present. Paul says to the church here, he said, hey, I don't desire a present. I'm not here to look for a handout. Don't ever look at your missionaries when they come through and feel like, well, praise God, here's this missionary he's got his offering. We'll give him support and make him happy and send him on his way. You are not giving a gift out or a present, amen. But Paul says, I desire fruit that will abound to your account. The word fruit there simply means the increase of your ministry. He said, I desire fruit. I want to increase Your ministry, in fact, the last word he uses there, he says it'll abound, which means it'll increase it, amen, supersede, abound to your account. You know what the word account means there? Work. In other words, folks, let me put it to you this way. It's simple. You've heard it before in missions conferences, and if you think about it, this is exactly what Paul's saying. Paul said, I didn't come to your church. I didn't come to you, even though Paul started the church. He said, I didn't expect a gift from you. I expect you to invest in me to take your ministry and to make it super abound in places that you can't make it abound. You will never go to Scotland, many of you, and start a church. You will never go to Nova Scotia. Many of you will never go to West Virginia and start a church. Many of you will never start a church ever as a church planner. But Paul says, hey, I want you to invest in me so that I can take your ministry and expand it as your representative, as your partner, amen, in the work of God. Now, what what does Paul say that he needs for them to do that? Well, there's three things. Number one, Paul desired, first of all, an investment, not a gift. Amen? Paul desired an investment, not a gift. I've already explained what that word gift means. So let's get into this idea of investment. Paul says fruit that abounds to your account. You know, Paul is, if really, if you think about it, Paul is saying to the church here in Philippi, saying this, listen. He said, what I want to do is be your investment broker, if you will. I want to take your investment and I want to make it have an increase or a yield. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would take money, whether you have a lot of money, whether you have a little bit of money, how many of you would take money and just go down and give it to someone and say, do what you want with this money and hopefully it works out in the end? Would you do that? No, of course not. An investment requires, number one, a relationship. Amen? You know, Paul had a relationship with these churches. Look at chapter 4 here, verse number 1. Notice what Paul says here. In fact, look at verse number 3. I'm sorry. Paul says, here is he's writing to these saints. In fact, he says here, and I entreat thee, he says, and I entreat thee um, also true yoke fellow. And he's speaking to the church at Philippi here, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. You know what the word yoke fellow means there? It means a colleague. It means a colleague. Paul says to the church at Philippi, and let me prove another another point to you here. Let me give you another scripture. Go to Philippians chapter 1. And notice what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 1 through 5. Paul says, hey, you're my yoke fellow. You as a church have been a colleague of mine. We've had a partnership. Look what he says here in Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at... Philippi, local church, local location. Amen. Look what he says with the bishops and deacons. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a bishop here today? You sure do. Thank you, sir. He's called a pastor. Pastor, bishop, elder. Same office. Amen. Do you have deacons here? Do you have deacons? That's okay. You know what? You don't need deacons until it's necessary. If pastor can do his job, he doesn't need deacons. But if you had deacons, if I said to you, hey, I'm going down to a church here that is a New Testament church where they've got assembled believers, they've got a pastor, and they've got deacons, what would you think? What would you expect me to say next? 
What church is it, Brother Males? He says, the church at Philippi, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. The missionary ought to be praying for you as well. Amen? Look what he says. For your fellowship. What is he praying for and what's he thanking God for? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. The first day of what? The day that they were formed and assembled and became indigenous until now. The word fellowship there means partnership. You know what you're doing when you take on a missionary, amen? You're taking on a person that you're going to partnership with. You, whether you realize it or not, are forming a bond. You're forming a relationship. And that's why your pastor and you as a church have every right to know if a man of God is called and if he's working, if he has a history of being a man of God, if he has been faithful in the work of God, you have a right to know his doctrine. I've never been offended when a pastor gives me a doctrinal statement questionnaire because you need to know what I believe. Why? We're forming a partnership together. Investment requires a relationship. But it also requires responsibility, doesn't it? Responsibility on your part and mine. Let me show you what the book of Acts says. Go to Acts chapter 13, if you will. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, the Bible shows us a good relationship here, but he shows us also, the Bible shows us a responsibility required. First of all, there's a responsibility on the side of the church planner, amen? And you have a responsibility involving the church planner to make sure this man measures up to this book. Can I say something to you? I had to tell my brother this recently. My brother's a pastor in Westlake, and he has a friend that's not living right. He's another preacher. And my brother said, Jimmy, he said, he said, I don't want to abandon my friend. I said, Petey, you don't have to abandon your friend, but you cannot join your ministry to a man that's not living right. I said, do you understand? You are pastoring the church of God. It's not your church, amen. You have to stand by the Bible because the Bible is our rule of authority. Listen, the Bible says in Acts 13, look at this. Look what kind of men these church planners were. He says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch, Certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manon in which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, who is Paul, as they ministered to the Lord. Can I say something to you, church? Now, you may think pastor is the only one that needs to worry about this, but you as a church have a right to understand when your pastor says, hey, you want to ask any questions to this man? You have a right to ask him. And if any missionary ever gets offended at this, something's wrong with them, amen. You have a right to know, have they or were they faithful in ministering to the Lord in their local church when they were supposedly called to church planting? That's what Bible says. The Bible says God called two men here. You know what he says first about him? Let me tell you about him. He said, not only is this church a faithful church that I'm working with here, but he said, I want you to know these men were ministering not to their pastor, not because the pastor told them they had to, not to a man, but to the Lord. Second of all, check this out. This is awesome. And fasted the church and these men. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work Whereunto I have called them. This is a free one. It doesn't cost you anything, but I'm going to throw it in so you understand, Brother Males, even more. The reason I call myself a worldwide church planner now is because of this. These men were not called to a country. They were called to a work. And the work was church planning. The country came as they left, amen, and the Spirit of God led them where He would have them go. Now, I want you to think about this, amen. Not only should a missionary be a man of God that's ministering to the Lord when God calls him, but number two, think about it, he must be a man that has the calling of God on his life. Do you know that the ministry is not an occupation? I had a man stand behind the pulpit in Scotland one time, preacher, and I honestly, I laughed in his face because it was hilarious. I mean, I thought he was joking, but he was serious. He gets behind the pulpit, we're talking, and he's standing, we had a big old pulpit lace, and he takes his hands like this. He had been visiting for about three months, and he goes like this. He starts rubbing the pulpit, and I looked at him, I said, 
I said, what are you doing, brother? He goes, wow. Can you imagine this, brother? Wow. He goes, man, this must be such a feeling of power. You're the man of God here, and you control all these people. And I'm sitting there thinking, this guy's watching too much Doctor Who or something, amen. He needs to get out of the TV. And I said, hey, listen, friend, any day you want this great power, you can have it, amen. We're looking for a man to turn the church over to. You say, what do you do? That's mean, preacher. No, it's true. Listen, I'm telling you now. I tell, told my own boys, just because you're preacher's kids, don't you dare go in the ministry until God calls you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not called of God, go do something else. Because the truth is, this entire body of believers here has a ministry to do where all the servants of God. The only difference is that the preaching of the word of God and the preaching of the gospel to the foreign lands and even on our home shores, church planting is a ministry that God has to call you to. You need to be called of God. And they had the blessing of God. You know, they also knew something about the leadership of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse number four. The Bible says in verse three that the church lays their hands and it's the authority of the church that sends them away. There is no mission board or agency that has authority over a church planner. The church is the authority. And he says in verse four this, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Can I ask you a question? Paul, imagine the picture and we'll move on. Here's the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and all these faithful men in Antioch. And I don't have time to go back over this, but if you read back a few chapters, you know who started the church at Antioch, humanly? It was Barnabas and Paul. That's who started the church. And now these two rookie church planners are in the church working for the Lord. And you know what happens? The Spirit of God comes and we find they're faithful. They're called of God. The Spirit of God is involved in this. But you know what's amazing? What we forget sometimes, we lose sight of because we get excited. Praise God, the church is the authority. They're men of God. The Spirit of God is in their lives. They're fasting and praying. They're working for God. You know what we forget sometimes? Did you ever ask yourself the question, who told them to go to Salamis and then down to Seleucia and on to Cyprus? Who told them to do that? There is no record that the church gives them an itinerary. Why? Because the church didn't call them. God did. You know who told them to go to those places? The Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost. Spirit-led. If we walk after the flesh, we cannot please God. So Paul and Barnabas go out, and these are men that know, and they have been proven to know how to decipher the will of God. You know what you ought to expect out of a church planner? That he is in the will of God. And if he is in the will of God, you know what you have a right to expect in an investment? Not only does an investment involve a responsibility on our part as a church planner and your part as a church, not only does an investment involve a relationship, but you know also what an investment involves? Let me ask you a question. If you go down and put money into a stockbroker, what do you expect 10, 20, 30 years later? What do you expect? It starts with an R. What do we call that? A what? Return. You know what? There was a missionary. Go to Acts chapter 14. There was a missionary friend of mine in Scotland years ago, and he's a good fellow. I love I loved the preacher. I really did. He was in Scotland for 24 years. And every time we'd meet together at a fellowship meeting, you know what he would do? He would be all down and depressed and look like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. You ever been around those kind of fellowships? That's why I really don't go to a lot of fellowships, amen. Oh, bother. And if you're doing something for the Lord and God's blessing you, you know what happens, amen. Oh, well, Brother Mark, don't, you know, hey, don't get too excited. The rain's coming, right? First time I showed up in Scotland, I went to a preacher's fellowship. Worst thing I could have done. Worst thing I could have done. They all started walking up, shaking my hand. This lady's shaking her head because she was there and she remembers. Brother Mayles, good to have you and your wife. Brother Mills, listen, don't expect much in Scotland. I've been here 20 years, and we've never seen a church started, but God called you here. I went over to one fellow's house. He came up after the fellowship. He said, brother, don't listen to them. Come over to my house for dinner. That's what I thought, but don't say amen yet, brother. I went over to the house. I got over to the house. We had dinner. We sit down on the living room. I kid you not, you couldn't make this stuff up. We sit down on the furniture, and they said, and, and they said, would you like coffee, tea, whatever? And so we being, you know, real British missionaries now, been there a whole two months, we decide we have tea. So we're drinking our tea. And Brother Overly, 
was sitting there, and I hope you don't know him because I didn't mean to say his name. He was there for four years. He sat across, and he leaned over like this. Say I'm sitting there, and he's here. He leans over like this, and he said, Brother Mayles, can I give you some advice? And I thought, Brother Mark, praise God, this is what I've been waiting for. And he said, Brother Mayles, he said, if I was you, I'm going to give, give you it verbatim. He said, Brother Mayles, if I was you, I would get my family and get them on a plane and get the heck out of here. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? That's exactly what he told me. This missionary friend of mine, he was in Scotland 24 years, and you know what he said? One day I walked up to him at a fellowship meeting. He had been there about five, six years before me. And I said, brother, I said, I love you, man. I said, and I did. I love him to this day. I said, brother, why are you always depressed, man? He goes, brother Mayles, you don't understand. I've been in the town of Hoyk for, that's a tongue twister, Hoyk. He said, I've been in the town of Hoyk for, for uh, 20 years or whatever it was, not quite as long as he had been there. And he said, Brother Mayles, I've knocked on every door many, many times. And he said, nobody's ever gotten saved. Nothing's happening. This town doesn't want the gospel. He said, I just don't know what to do. I said, I'll tell you what to do. I said, you ever read the book of Acts? And I wasn't sarcastic because I loved him. I'm not like your, um, your, your assistant pastor, amen, wherever he's at. <laughs> I think his family should have taken advantage of those training classes, amen. If he's, amen, you know what I'm saying? Whose daughter did he marry? Your daughter? Whose daughter did he marry? Nobody's. Oh, that's somebody else. Okay, all right. Anyways, anyways, God bless you, brother. I love you, but you know what? Your parents should have taught you some manners, amen, about the Browns. All right. Anyways, here we go. You never you never tease the preacher, man, because he's going to get the last word. And if you say something, I'm going to ask pastor to remove you. So, amen. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding with you. But anyways, I said to him, have you ever read the book of Acts? I said, you know what Paul did when he went to a town and they didn't receive the gospel? He shook the dust off his feet, which was a Jewish custom of saying, I'm done with you. And he would go on his way. Amen. You know what? Paul didn't stay in one place very long until people got saved. Amen. Then he discipled and then he, you know what that's called? The return. And here's what you have a right to expect. Look in Acts chapter 14, verse number 20. The Bible says this, how be it as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city and the next day, um, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, this is right before the end of their first journey. And look what he says. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, which implies there was more than one city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls, which means they strengthened them, of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we, through much tribulation... Um, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders, pastors, amen, in every church, that means they made indigenous churches and had prayed with fasting, they commended them, they deposited them back to the Lord on whom they believed. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm getting at this. An investment requires relationship. You need to know the missionary. He needs to know you. An investment requires responsibility on both parts. You need to give the missionary the freedom to do the will of God and pray for him, as we're going to talk about in a moment. And friend, we have a responsibility to do what we said we're going to do and what the Bible says to do. And it also requires a return. And you know what the return is? You have a right to expect, preacher, every single church planner you support, you have a right to expect that whether it takes one year, five years, or six years, or whatever, that they are going to produce indigenous, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, standing on the Word of God, New Testament, Baptist churches. We should not settle... I support missions through my home church. I don't want to support a guy that I'm going to invest in, amen, and nothing happens. My God said that we are not Old Testament prophets, amen. We are New Testament church planners. And this gospel saves people, friend. And when they get saved, where two or three are gathered in my name, friend. Listen, I don't believe Paul left thousands behind always. Paul left churches that he said, greet the church that is in thy house. Amen. Listen, churches were planted. You have a right for a return because you're investing 
in the man of God. Number two, and we'll move along. It won't take us much longer now. We're almost done. But let me give you the other things that I think you know. But maybe we can get a little more precise and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So Paul required an investment, not a gift. But he also required intercession, not a gift. Paul wanted some intercession. And you know what intercession is. It's praying. Amen. Paul wanted you to pray for him. And Paul said already, as we saw, that he prayed for his churches. And God forbid, as Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin in not praying for you. Amen. The Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now, let me say this to you while you're getting there and finalizing where you're at. Did you ever pray for someone, if you're honest, like this? Dear Lord, I pray you'll be with, with, with Pastor O'Donnell's son. Amen. What's your first name, son? Joshua. Dear Lord, be with Joshua O'Donnell and just bless his life. Now, that's a good prayer. I mean, you know, who knows what will happen, amen? You never know. Maybe the Browns will win a Super Bowl. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. But seriously, you say, preacher, listen. What should, how should we pray for the missionaries? We'll pray that they're safe and that they have, that they, that they have a lot of support, amen? And, and, that, and there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But you know what? Paul asked for two specific areas. And there's a lot of things that can fall into these areas, but two specific categories. Number one, think about it. Paul says he prayed, he expected, he desired intercession for what? Effectiveness. He says in verse number one, finally, my brethren, or finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have what? Free course and be a glorified even as it is with you. You know what Paul's saying? Hey, when I come here, preacher, I see a church that is thriving, that's alive, and there's life here, and I see a church that is going forward. I see the gospel obviously working in this area. You know what I want you to pray for me for? The same thing over there. Paul says, hey, pray for effectiveness. We're preaching the gospel. You said, preacher, there's nothing can hinder the gospel. We can hinder the gospel. The Bible says in Daniel, I believe, that the prayers of Daniel were hindered. You listen, if you think the devil, because you say, well, praise God, I'm saved and I can handle the devil because he can't hurt me. If God would not protect you, friend, you are no match for Satan. Believe me, his and you don't have to go to a country where there's witchcraft to know it. Our country has plenty of demonism. Watch the television every week and see all the shows that are on about the occult. Our society is fascinated with the occult. It's just entertainment, preacher. Brother, you talking to me today? It isn't just entertainment. It isn't you. Not after what I've dealt with, brother. Not after what I messed around with as a little boy. Not after where I've been, brother. I can't watch these movies and stuff about demons and exorcisms and everything else. You don't realize when you watch that trash, you're bringing the devil into your house. And you can say you're saved all you want. But you better not mess with the devil, friend. Because outside of the power of God, you have no authority over him. God says, give us, or Paul says, Pray for effectiveness. Why? Because I'm preaching a gospel that can save souls. But you know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? That the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that are lost. That they won't see. But he said, praise God, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine into them and they should repent and be saved. You know what saves sinners? You can pray all you want. I prayed a lot as a Catholic. You can pray till you're blue in the face. You could say the sinner's prayers, we call it. You know what kind of praying I like? I like when a person's under conviction just to say to them, you pray and trust Christ, and I'll just listen, amen. Because you know what? God's not concerned about this prayer and that prayer. God's concerned about the attitude of the heart. And when the Spirit of God brings a man to repentance and faith, friend, that salvation sticks, amen. One time Spurgeon had a drunk walking down the street. You probably heard the story. And some guy, sarcastic guy, was with him, and he said to Spurgeon, he goes, there's one of your converts. He goes, yeah, you're right. He's one of my converts, because if he was the Lord's convert, he wouldn't be in that state. Effectiveness. The word effectiveness 
simply means producing a decided, decisive, or desired effect. The word, that phrase, free course, means to run or walk hastily. Man, I want the gospel to penetrate. You know, brother, I've tried all these different things. I've read all these kind of things about, you know, you do this and it works. You know, I'm not for trying programs and that, but I'm telling you, fasting and prayer as a church and old-fashioned Holy Ghost power and conviction, it really is hard to beat, amen. It really is. Effectiveness. But you know what else he prays for? Verse 2, deliverance. We need prayer for deliverance, man. Now, this is where you need to pray for safety and all that. He says, and that we may be delivered, which simply means rescued, rescued from unreasonable and wicked men. The word unreasonable here means improper, injurious, out of place. Wicked means hurtful. Do you know there are people in this town, surprise, surprise, that would like to take your pastor and destroy his life? There are women in this town. I'm not talking about your pastor doing something immoral. I'm talking about they would like to make it look like an accused. I've been accused of all kinds of things. And praise God, God has always guarded my testimony because you know what? I've tried to live for the Lord. I've not been out carousing, amen. But you know, the devil doesn't care. Do you think the devil, it bothers him to lie? Jesus said, you have your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and he's a liar now. He's he's a murderer from the beginning. There are men and women that want to hurt you in this church. And don't you think for a minute, friend, because we live in the United States of America, that our government would not turn back to the death penalty. And by the way, all of that scandal, they called it, all of that thing about the NAS and 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 the Homeland Securities list, and you know who was on the top of that list? And it leaked out. And I'll tell you why I believe God leaked it out. Because we need to understand, we are in a dangerous situation today. The top of that list was fundamental Christianity. Listen, young people, I'm glad for you. My kids are young. I told you, I'll make one more appeal. Amen? My boys are not bad-looking boys, and they're good boys, and they love God. You girls, if you're anywhere in the Marian age... We're open for business, amen. And you men, I already had one boy come up and give me, his mama told me that he was, he was available, amen. I said, well, tell him to call me. He passed all the tests so far, but he has to pass the Holly Likenham test, and I don't know, man, how that'll go. We live in a day, folks, not just over in Scotland, not just in Nova Scotia. Believe me, West Virginia is a dangerous place. But here in Akron, Ohio, we live in a place with wicked and unreasonable men. But I like what Paul says here. I want you to look at this at the end of that verse. (laughs) I love this semicolon. For all men (laughs) have not faith. Let me let you in on a secret, okay? Jesus said it this way. Now, if you think you know more than Jesus, I'm, I'm very happy to listen to you. But Jesus said this. He said the road to heaven is a narrow one, and few there be that find it. The road to hell is a broad one, and many there be that go in thereat. You know what? Paul says, the reason I need you to pray for deliverance, the reason I need to pl- you to pray for rescue, amen, is because guess what? In the ministry, we have found wicked, unreasonable men. And check this out. Not all men are saved. Do you know that even when you read the epistles of Paul, that not all of those that were in the churches he started were saved? There were men that tried to do him harm in the churches he started. And so Paul says, pray. We need intercession, not a gift. But in closing, I want to do something a little different. Go back to Acts, the book of Acts, and I'm going to, instead of preach all these great words and try to stir you, we're just going to let the Bible talk for a minute in closing tonight. Go to Acts chapter 4, if you will. I'm sorry, chapter 13. Chapter 13. And we're going to go through the book of Acts and read about six scriptures, and then we'll be done in just a moment. Paul desired investment, not a gift. Paul desired intercession, not a gift. Prayer. But Paul, in, the, in closing tonight, Paul desired involvement, not a gift. Paul wanted involvement. You say, what do you mean, preacher? How do we send church planners out today? We call them missionaries. I'll give you another free one. This is a good one. I like this. I sit around studying this stuff, amen, because I was raised a Catholic, so I kind of like to do things exactly by the Bible. I'm serious. Where did we ever get this word missionary? Because it's not in the Bible, right? It's not in the Bible. Where did we get it? 
You know what the Bible calls what we call a missionary today? An evangelist. Where do we get this word missionary? I did a little homework. 1790-something, the Jesuit priests from the Catholic Church sent out their first ambassadors. You know what they called them? Missionaries. So we call ourselves something that the Jesuits gave us. That's why I don't call myself a missionary anymore. I said, Preacher, are you trying to change the whole world? I can't even change one church, let alone all of them. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to live by this book. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. This is amazing. How do we send out missionaries, church planners? We send them out their husband, the wife, and the little children. They get to Scotland like we did. And what happened, Mrs. Mails? Two and one and a baby on the way. You know what we did? We went out. I went out and knocked on doors because you know what she had to do? Take care of a two-year-old and a one-year-old and stay at home. And that's her job, amen? That's her ministry. That's what Proverbs 31 says. So I'd go out and knock on doors, Brother Mark, and I know you've been here, amen? You go out and knock on doors by yourself. You're in a foreign country, and you're knocking on doors, and you're fighting the devil, and forget all the witchcraft stuff. You're fighting the devil. You're fighting the, the forces of hell, amen? And you get discouraged. You know why the average missionary only lasts about eight years and they, they quit? That's what they say. Because I believe we went away from a biblical pattern of involvement. Now, I want you to check this out. Now, you're going to read with me, okay? Acts 13, enough preaching. We're just going to read the Bible. It's better than preaching, right? Preaching should be the Bible, but we'll go on. Verse number four, all right? So then, I want you, when I pause, I want you to you read the word, okay? So, what's that word? They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, depart unto Seleucia, and from thence, what's that word? They sailed to Cyprus. Now, I want you to think about this. To have they or them, you have to have a plural, correct? I'm not an English major, believe me. I'm a Browns fan. You know I'm not an English major. But you have to have plural. Who is the plural here? You say Paul and Barnabas. That's right, two men. But they also had John Mark. Three men. Not one man with a wife. Three men went out to do this work. Now, I want you to see this. this is, you're going to see this as a pattern. Go to Acts chapter 16. We'll skip a few chapters, and we'll look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse number 10. Let's read this now together. You ready? I'll read, and you just fill in the blanks, all right? Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, what's that word? We, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, shortly gathering that the Lord had called, what? Us, for to preach the gospel unto who? Them. Amen? Now, let's go to another one. How about Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Now, this is from Paul's first missionary journey, and this is the pattern that we're supposed to go by. Am I right? Amen? Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Look what he says here. And the whole city was filled with confusion. Sounds like a lot of church services. Amen? And having caught Gaius and Articius, men of Macedonia, Paul's, what's that word? companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. You know what the word companions means here? Get this definition. It's awesome. Fellow traveler, co-absentee from home. Paul had more than just himself on these journeys. Now, let me show you a couple more and we're done. Amen. In fact, two more scriptures and we're done tonight. I'll drive home and you can go do what you want to do. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse number Four. Two more. Here's what the Bible says. Here we go. And there, what's that word? Accompany. To accompany somebody, you have to be with them, right? From Asia, from uh, accompanied him into where did he go? Isn't that interesting? He was told not to go in Acts 16, but now he's going. Why? Because it's the Lord's time. Look what he says. Sophiter of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Articius and Secundus, and my wife loves it when I say these names, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus of Asia, and whatever that guy's name is, and five churches. You say, preacher, why are these towns mentioned? What's the significance? These are the areas that Paul had started churches in, and now he had men from those churches going with him. Do I think these men raised full-time support and were with Paul 24-7? I don't think so. But what I think is, is that Paul required involvement. In other words, folks, what are you doing on your next vacation, amen? 
What are you doing when you get retired and you, you don't have a job? Listen, not only helping in your local church, but what about going with a church planner that you support and not going over to see castles and tour, but say, preacher, I'm coming for a month. If you'll have me, I'll do whatever you want. I just want to see the gospel preach and churches established. Involvement. Involvement. Why have we let the Protestants take this away from us? Why have we done that? It doesn't make sense. Four churches started. Two of those churches were started, established, indigenous in every way. Pastor, finances, buildings, everything in one year. Were they large churches? Probably running 25 to 35 people. No, they weren't considered large, but they were indigenous in every way. You know why? Because those two churches were started with a team effort of at least 12 to 15 people that knocked on doors with me four or five days a week. And after people got saved, they helped me disciple them. You know what a team effort does? It produces accountability, number one. Number two, it produces encouragement, which we need, all of us need, and it produces effectiveness. How do I know that? Because I've lived it. I've lived it. Praise God, we formed a team now. I've got a church planner out of that church in Nova Scotia that has his own support. He's going to go. We're going to work together. I've got young people. I've got older people. I've got people from all over this country. Now, the guy that works at the body shop I told you about this morning, he and his wife, he had been praying God would give them enough money to retire early at 45 years old. God answered his prayers. He's going to go and start churches with us. He's not even going to raise support. He's just going to go do it. Amen. Listen, the point is we need a team effort. Paul desired investment. He desired intercession. And he desired involvement. You know what I desire from you as a church? Investment. That's called support. I promise you, I believe you'll get, you'll get a return. Amen. Investment. Intercession, you pray for me, I pray for you, and involvement. If you'd like to go and be a part of a church plant in Scotland or wherever the Lord's opening the door to do a church, we'd love to have you come, amen. That is the church planter's heart from the Word of God. That's what the relationship is all about, amen. And if we do that and have that kind of relationship, we'll start churches all over this world before the Lord Jesus comes back, amen. Let's go ahead and stand, and Pastor, you come, and we'll turn it over to you. Father, I pray this evening that this message has been listened to, and I thank you for the freedom to preach tonight, the liberty of the Holy Ghost. Father, I pray tonight that this Word of God, these truths that we've looked at,